Hey guys, it's Fury. We've entered month two of the Coach Fury podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I've got a very special guest, and I know you hear me say that for every time because everyone is special. Uh, I just reach out to my buddies, but then there's friends that you have in your wedding party that hit that next level. And today's guest is none other than Danny Cavallo of the PCC Progressive Calisthenics Certification, which is run through Dragon Door. So it's sort of the bodyweight calisthenics sister, cousin, brother of the RKC and the HKC. Uh, Danny is a, a just has become a great friend. We go on play dates together with our kids. We're drinking buddies. We hang out. And I'll go a little more into some of the cool stuff that we've gotten to do together and what I love about this guy. But Danny is also a best-selling author for Dragon Door, uh, several books. At least, Danny, how many books are you up to now? Oh, my God. I got three that I authored on my own. I have two collaborations with my brother, Al Cavadlo. So we're talking about a total of five titles right now and it's counting. A- Amazing. And he's a frequent contributor uh, to bodybuilding.com, Train Magazine. Uh, He's just been all over the place. He's just a machine when it comes to putting stuff out. He's also just one of the nicest, most honest guys you're going to come across. So Danny, uh, please say hello to the audience. And if there's something I missed in there to uh, about yourself. Well, hello, everybody out there listening to Coach Fury's podcast right now. It's just a tremendous honor for me to be on the podcast. So I'm super excited to be talking to you. I'm super excited to be sharing some information or funny stories with the people who are listening over here. And, you know, I do a lot of these podcasts with a lot of different people. And just like you're excited to have me on the show, Coach Fury, I'm very, very, very excited to be here talking to you. Like Coach Fury said, for anybody listening, you know, we don't just train together. We hang out together. We take our kids to movies together. We've gone to the skate park. We've gone all over the place, concerts, everything. So this is a good friend of mine. And I'm just really excited to be talking shop, talking about life, um, and sharing some stories and some info. So let's do it. Awesome. One of the things I wanted to share that when when I first signed on with the RKC to become at that time a senior RKC, I had clearly known about Danny and his brother, Al, and the PCC certification. I actually was aware of Al because Al used to train some people at a friend's gym, Nimble Fitness, which I've mentioned on the podcast before. My friend Keith Payne is a co-owner in that place. And when I signed up my contract, I reached out on Facebook via message to Danny and Al. And I said, hey, guys, we do not know each other, but we have a ton of mutual friends. I just signed up for Dragon Door. I'm going to be an instructor for the RKC. Uh, We should meet up and, like, grab a drink or coffee or something. And these guys didn't just say, yeah. They said, hey, we're having a Memorial Day party. Why don't you come over and bring the family? Mm -hmm. Now, there's a few things that I struck me as a chord in terms of what type of people I was about to meet. A, to not just like, you can have like a drink or coffee and it could be kind of sterile and safe, but to invite your, somebody you don't know yet to a party that you're throwing at your house is a big step, but man, and bring the kids and the family, like that's huge, right? So that's, that's a true family vibe. And that, so that was the first time I actually met these guys was at a barbecue at Danny's place. And we've now been hitting those barbecues about four times a year, <laughs> like part of the, the spot. So this was going back into 2014. And then Danny's son and my kids, we go and play. They're all superhero movie nerds. And uh, my son plays with, with his son on, on, what is it, Roadblocks now on Minecraft and all that <laughs> crap. So, uh, yeah, it's a true family vibe. But it struck me as part of it in a, in a time when Dragon Door was going through some changes. And I was signing up at this time that 
John Duquesne was also aligning with some really cool people that were just very down to earth because we can posture about a lot of stuff on the internet and on social media. But then like when you actually like behind the scenes and a private message, you get to hear the real deal. Uh, and these guys were the real deal. So let's just take a step back because I know you guys have spoken sort of about the birth of the PCC. I remember seeing you guys for the first time. I think it was Convict Conditioning 2. Yes. Right? So through the, the relationship with Dragon Doran in that book, that led to Danny and his brother Al being the, master, the, the, the two master instructors of the PCC. Now, the PCC has stemmed out of – we're just going to get to this, folks. Let's get to out it. Out of Convict Conditioning from Coach Paul Wade. Now, those books are amazing, and there's a third one. Uh, that had come out with these guys' involvement as well. But there is a mystery around Paul Wade and uh, a, a, a rumor as to whether or not he actually exists or not. So, Danny, why don't you illuminate us on, on the mystery of Coach Paul Wade? Well, there's a lot to say about this. But before we get into Coach Paul Wade, I just want to say to you personally, you know, you mentioned there's a lot of posturing out there and a lot of people representing one thing, representing another, saying what they say, not necessarily meaning what they say or saying what they mean. And when you reached out to me and to Al a few years ago and you were saying you're, you're, you're in the Dragon Door family, the first thing I did, I wanted to invite you personally to my home because that's the way I rock. There's a lot of bullshit out there. There's a lot of false modesty and uh, false friendliness and people pretending to be friendly and open and genuine. And there's so much uh, silliness with that and so much pretending. And you know what? I'm, I'm a real dude. You know, I grew up in South Brooklyn. I grew up in a, a real neighborhood. I grew up interacting with people. And when you meet people and you get to know people, I invite them to my home. I say, come over. I'm having a barbecue. I'm cooking dinner for you and your family. And that's just, that's just the way I get down. So I was happy you accepted the invitation. And uh, I'm happy you're part of the Dragon Door family. And I'm happy I'm part of the Dragon Door family. And I wouldn't be here as part of the Dragon Door family if it wasn't for the gentleman you just mentioned, Mr. Paul Wade. So to give your... Uh, listeners a little bit of a background story about Paul Wade for those of you who might not be familiar with convict conditioning several years ago John Duquesne CEO and publisher at Dragon Door received an unsolicited manuscript on his desk on a book called convict conditioning now this book was a body weight training behemoth extensive programming extensive information and extensive lore about what it's like to train in prison. The author of this book, Paul Coach Wade, is a gentleman who claims to have developed this incredible body weight training system throughout the years that he was incarcerated. And he says he was incarcerated for many, many years in his life. Now, I came into the Dragon Door fold because when Convict Conditioning 2 the sequel to the Convict Conditioning books was written. Paul Wade contacted Al and myself via the internet because he wanted to use some photographs of us. He wanted us to model some of the photos in the book, the human flag and some other ones. And because of Paul Wade's anonymity, he did not personally model these photos himself. So Paul Wade's anonymity was very, very good for my career 
because that convict conditioning too introduced us to Dragon Door. And ultimately, Al has put out a series of books. I've put out a series of books, including Strength Rules. Al and I have collaborated on Street Workout and Get Strong, and we're the instructors for the PCC. So I owe a great deal of the opportunities I received to Paul Wade being anonymous. So thanks, Coach Wade, for that. <laughs> but in terms of his anonymity, it did create a bit of controversy. Over the years, there's been many conspiracy theories. Some people say, hey, Paul Wade, how come I've never seen a picture of him? It must really be John Duquesne. Hey, Paul Wade, how come I've never seen a picture of him? It must really be Danny Cavadlo or Al Cavadlo or Pavel or any of these people. And I assure you, it is definitely not John Duquesne. It's definitely <laughs> not me. It is definitely not Al Cavallo. It's definitely not Pavel. <laughs> so here we are. We got this guy, Paul Wade, who nobody has ever seen, nobody who has ever met, nobody's ever talked to him on the phone. I've had hundreds of correspondences with Paul Wade via email, but I've never seen his picture and I've never seen his voice, heard his voice. So for this situation, a lot of people started saying, hey, who is this guy? He's not real. It must be some conspiracy. There's someone pretending to be this bodyweight guy uh, writing all this amazing content, putting out hundreds of pages and volumes of work that's so good. So what I say to that is um, I think that the conspiracy theories are more far-fetched than the fact that, no, this probably is some dude who sat down and wrote all this stuff. And for whatever reasons he has for his anonymity, whether he wants to keep secrecy for the things that he's done in the past, or whether he wants to be unknown for other reasons, I'll say this much. There really is a dude writing this stuff. And the voice of the emails that I've corresponded with match the voice of the convict conditioning books. But who knows, right? That's awesome. For for any old old school skateboarders out there, I view Wade as the animal chin, the search for the animal chin. And quite frankly, when this, had, uh, I remember there was like a Facebook thread years ago, uh, sort of at the peak of the beginning of the PCC, when you guys were just like, not that you aren't anymore, that you were still, you're still crushing it, but it was like a brand new thing. There was like a big thread about it. And quite frankly, either way, it's brilliant. But, you know, in talking with you and Al and John, folks, my opinion is there's a dude uh, because it's just too much fucking time to try to write in somebody else's voice via email as opposed to just writing in the book. That's easy. Um, and regardless, either way, convict conditioning, I'm most familiar with the first volume of it. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, there's few blueprints on how to get very good at very technical body weight stuff that is literally step-by-step -step programmed out to the rep. Like do this version, uh, this, this model of this exercise for this many reps, for this many sets, and then you have earned the right to move on and then do that and then move on. Like it is a pretty, you couldn't get more straightforward of a game plan than that. What's funny, what's funny about the anonymous thing with Paul Wade is that it, it, it it seems odd that this would be concocted as a marketing ploy. Like a lot of people on the internet, you know, sitting on their keyboard saying, ha, I figured it out. There is no Paul Wade. This is a marketing ploy. It's really this person. It's really that. But in reality, if it was a marketing ploy, 
it would be a pretty bizarre one. Like, I think it's amazing that Convict Conditioning has sold as many copies as it has, given though the author is anonymous. I mean, Convict Conditioning is the best-selling Dragon Door title ever. It yeah. sold more than Enter the Kettlebell. It sold more than any of my books, amazingly. And uh, it is the number one selling Dragon Door title of all time. And you would think that if you were promoting a book, the last thing you would say is, hey, this author is going to be anonymous. But here we go. So the anonymity, in spite of itself, has worked. But ultimately, the book is sold because it's a quality product. So that led to the PCC, the Progressive Calisthenics Certification. So what happened is we got Convict Conditioning, Convict Conditioning 2. We have the huge body of work uh, by Al Cavallo and by myself. And when it came time for Dragon Door, I mean, Dragon Door is a leader in certifications. Dragon Door made the first kettlebell certification years ago, the RKC. And John Duquesne, being a, a pioneer and a visionary, saw what was happening with body weight. I mean, this body weight thing, it's funny because body weight training has been around since the dawn of man. Yep. What's happened with body weight training in the last, I don't know, five or seven or 10 years was it's had this incredible resurgence. And the resurgence has taken it to the next level because now what people are doing in terms of body weight strength training is going beyond push-ups and pull-ups and squats, or even one-arm push-ups, one-arm pull-ups, and one-arm squats. What's happening now, we're talking about human flags. We're talking about muscle-ups. We're talking about hand balancing, bar levers, stuff that you just didn't see uh, 15 years ago, stuff that when I was a kid, I never saw. I didn't see a muscle-up until I was in my 30s. Um, I'm 43 now, so that's still a long time ago. <laughs> my 30s, but uh, it's just really, really incredible. So John Duquesne, the visionary, wanted to have a body weight certification, the PCC, and it is the first body weight certification. Now what's happened, a lot of them have followed our lead. Many, many body weight certifications have emerged in the, in the dust of the PCC that we're leaving behind. But this is the first, and it is the best. So when it came time to get somebody to teach it, it had to be Al, and it had to be me, because there was really no one better in the entire world to do this than us. So again, thank God Paul Wade was anonymous, and they asked us to do it. <laughs> well, I'll say this. So I, I went through the PCC having probably about a, a year after knowing you guys. Maybe it was two. It might have been two years after knowing you guys. And I will say that the, the two things that I think set up, aside from just the timing, that there was clearly – you know, the move towards functional fitness, if you can see me doing, you know, the finger quotation marks, like $1 million, you know, that was definitely happening. And it was a part of the RKC prior, you know, we had the convict conditioning, Pavel was a body weight, you know, had body weight stuff that he was Absolutely. pushing as well. So it was a part of it, but the, the, the new interest in it, timing with, the creation of the PCC and its curriculum, right? Because you can have a certain, you can have great teachers, but if you don't have a good curriculum, you got nothing. Mm -hmm. And then having gone through the cert, the personalities, not just your own, but how you and Al play off of each other and how you strengthen each other and differ from one another was a really welcoming 
open environment to just learn in a time where if we were on the kettlebell side of things like myself, there was a lot of drama. Like guys, just gonna throw it out there. I've got friends in every kettlebell organization out there. I wish them all well. Is there competition if there's two certs coming up in New York? You know what, we all want our certs filled. I don't know if you call that competition. I don't care if they do bad, I hope everyone does good. So let's just get that out the gate. But at that time in particular, there was a lot of what are they doing? What are those guys doing in both directions? And it was so annoying. And I will openly admit that I'm sure I got hella wrapped up in it for a little while until I didn't, right? I had my moments of clarity where I'm like, it's just initials and quite frankly, it's all about the curriculum because if we didn't have good curriculum, the initials RKC don't mean anything, right? Like we have other certs that we know, uh, we've all known somebody that took a cert that was not a great educational experience. So they have initials at the end of their business card, but like, is there anything backing them up, right? And that's in anything, not just kettlebells, that's in anything. So I think, you know, that timing of a rising interest in calisthenics and bodyweight training, also almost specifically at first as a complementary to kettlebell training, but then it clearly went out where it's just its own thing and can be used with kettlebell training. And then you guys coming on as the instructors and the curriculum overall with everybody's sort of guidance on that. And I'm sure John had a hand in that as well. Like the, sure. the you know, guys, you get manuals at certain certs that it's like, it looks like somebody spent about, you know, a day, on word creating a document ask somebody to look at their pcc manual that somebody's gone through and it's like a bible it's thick it's like a big ass book this, this it's not PCC a pamphlet book the pcc book the coach fury is referring to this is one of the things that you get when you sign up for the course you get a three-day course instructed by alan myself covering 11 modules from push-up to pull-up to squat, to muscle up, human flag, hand balancing, um, and so much, so much more. You get seminars on programming. You get seminars on the principles of progression. You get the in-person experience of being surrounded by 20 or 30 or 40 other calisthenics enthusiasts, freaks and geeks of fitness, just like you and just like me in this room, sharing this incredible energy, this life-changing experience together. And in addition to that, you get this 600 page manual written by Paul Wade or somebody who claims to be Paul Wade. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the manual that Fury is talking about. I mean, this 600 page manual is without a doubt the most detailed uh, body weight training manifesto that I've seen in my life. I mean, those of you who are familiar with Paul Wade's work are going to know that this guy pays attention to detail. And he didn't miss a beat when it came to this manual. And that's the way the curriculum is. That's where the course is. Um, we want it to be friendly. We want it to be inviting. And we want everyone to have a great experience with, like you said, Fury, with uh, coming down to the curriculum, with a quality curriculum. And then those things that you can't express in the curriculum, that, that human element, that in-person experience. And that's really something that Al and I strive to give, to give what we have to give, to give what we have inside us to make it the, the, the best day that everybody can have, to make it the best three days that we can have. And so everybody walks out of that room hungover from this amazing experience of not just training and strength, but also community, solidarity, uh, brother and sisterhood of progressive calisthenics. It's really, you know, it's, it's a family what we got going on here. You mentioned competition before. You mentioned other factions and this team and this team and blah, blah, blah. You know, 
here's the funny thing about competition. We get competitive with things and it, 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 it can sometimes bring out an ugly side or a bad side, but I don't like to see it that way. Like to me, in terms of purity, competition should really bring out the best in everybody, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the ideal is we're, we're all doing the same stuff and in a way we're all competing. But if I could learn from other people or I could see what other people are doing or I could see how hard someone else is working and that makes me strive to want to work that much harder or to me to see the success that someone else has had or the, the quality or the influence that somebody else has had on another person, well, then I should look at that. And if I want to be competitive, I should strive to be even better myself. And that's, that's really what competition is about, bringing out the best in everybody. So in terms of the calisthenics world, we talk about this new resurgence of body weight. Like, I'm, I'm cool with Bar Stars. I'm cool with Marcus Bondi. I'm cool with Team Wingate. I'm, I'm cool with all these other people that are doing this because I see what they're doing. And I'm like, wow, that's great. And I'm, I'm inspired to do better myself. So really, when, when competition gets ugly, that's really more revealing about the person feeling ugliness than it is about the competition itself. You know, we're all on the same side and we all, we all got a lot more in common than we do apart. Yeah, that's, that becomes ego-driven over performance-driven, right? Like the performance is like, how do we all learn and, and get better from one another? And then the ego is, I need to be better than them. And, you know, right. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like I'm, I came into this game way late to think I'm ever going to be the strongest guy, the most mobile guy, the most flexible guy. Uh, I just want to be able to coach well on the things that I'm trying to express and hit those points cleanly. And I've had teachers from so many different groups and all great, and I've learned something from all of them. And when we get – two behind initials and guys I'm speaking as me as an RKC and the other groups that I teach for DVRT whatever like I have to keep that open mind going because you know you might be the best person within that system just say you were the best calisthenics person or the best kettlebell person in the in the world right but then there's another person that's really good at kettlebells but has like seven other bases of knowledge behind them that person's probably a better coach than you. And I'm probably more likely to send my mom to that person because there's a wider base of knowledge. And I think we get caught up. It's interesting you mentioned that, you know, the cert experience in the manual. And this is something that I felt really victim to on myself is you get the manual at the cert, but you're so focused on the cert and the strength test, right? You're soaking up everything that the instructors are saying. And I remember, you know, at the end of like RKC events and strong first events, Pavel would always say, you know, no drinking, read your manual. And hardly anybody ever did it. But then I found myself years later going back to the manuals and realizing like, A, what was great to begin with and where it just sort of stopped. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's been really rad with the RKC, and I relate this to your PCC manual is the RKC manuals will be getting updated. Uh, and certain how we break down certain moves are getting updated and there's pictures and there's just carryover that you're like, it's nice to see that things are evolving as opposed to we made a, a manual and the layout of a workshop 10 years ago and it's just stuck there. And I think it's great to have that takeaway because I think a lot of us, and I've mentioned this on other certs, a lot of us take a lot of courses in a short period of time and that live experience is only going to stick with you because it's an experience. You know I mean? Let's face it. Like these are all experiences. You're not getting a master's degree in anything yet. You're not properly in some ways being tested. A strength test is there for a, a reason. They do serve purposes, but you have to be able to go back or you're going to forget stuff. And 
you know, if you go to a PCC or an RKC, it's not just about being able to train somebody to do a snatch test or a century test. That should actually probably be the farthest thing that they're looking for, but it's having a wide base of movement selections, progressions, regressions that you can have anybody come in and you can apply, you can apply something from the PCC or from the RKC or from the DVRT or whatever group that might be original strength so that you have this wide base of knowledge, right? So if we all remove our, our egos from this, we, we just keep adding, skill sets and systems together that define our philosophy. The problem is we tend to rally so hard of behind a set of initials or one group that it's not a philosophy, right? It's somebody else's philosophy. We're just enacting something somebody said. And you have to be able to internalize and practice that to get that into a higher thing. And I think that's one of the reasons why you know, RKC certainly took a hit when the split had happened around the formation of the PCC. And I think you guys actually did an amazing job just based on the material and the love that was already for convict conditioning of bringing people to at least the calisthenic side of things. And now as time's gone by, I think we're all, we've all gotten over ourselves to a big degree. So there's not like this harsh, like us versus them anymore. So now it's this nice spot where, uh, you know, and John and I talked about this on our episode of the podcast, which hasn't come out yet folks, but that dragon door, you know, the RKC and the PCC, are really blending well into a fuller coach because you're not going to have everybody do a get up. You might have a version of a get up. You might not, you know, you need options for types of push push ups and squats and bridges and glute bridges. Like you just need options, but you also need to know when to apply the options. So it's not just some random selection of something. And I think that's when we look at course curriculum and manuals I never spent enough time in the beginning, like focusing on the manual. It was like, how good was the weekend? And these things have to go beyond the weekend. Well, here's the thing with all of that. I mean, you, you just said so much, so much good stuff. Cause I went on a rant. And I'm stepping off. On a rant. I like these fury rants. Well, you know, a, a couple things that, that you touched upon that, that I have some pretty strong feelings about, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're redoing, or you have redone and will continue to redo some of these manuals as, as we have on the PCC end. And, and that's how it should be because things change and, and everything changes. There's this old saying, no man ever walks through the same river twice because he is not the same man and it is not the same river. And things do change. Anyone who just wants to fucking do the same, the same, the same, the same, and not absorb any new information that comes out and not absorb any new data that comes out and perhaps adjust their thinking, well, this person is setting themselves up for a recipe for disaster. We, we, we have to change as human beings. We have to change. We have to evolve. Yeah, I'm basically the same guy I was when I was 20 years old, except I'm also really different because I've had X amount of years more experience. We should change. If you see me at a PCC in 2013 and then see me at a PCC in 2017, I should be different. The yeah. PCC should be different and you should be different because we are all a product of our experiences and these experiences should change us. If we don't change, over time, then, then, then we're stuck. We're stuck mentally. We're stuck emotionally. We're stuck within our lives. So change is good. I promote change and things should evolve. Um, I know you're, you're planning on having Annie Vo, RKC and PCC team leader on your show at, 
sometime. And she, she, I was talking to her the other day. She gave me this great analogy about uh, science, about how they used to think scientists uh, used to think that the Tyrannosaurus Rex walked upright with a dragging tail like your boy Godzilla. And then later on, decades later, they found new information that showed that its body was more parallel to the ground, like a snake being supported by the two legs. Makes sense. It could move faster if it's not dragging a tail. It makes sense. Its head is closer to the ground to be the world's greatest predator. So were scientists wrong the first time or are they wrong now? And the truth is they weren't wrong because they were making the information based on the facts that they have. When you are presented with new facts, when you learn new things, when you have more experiences, when you observe, report, you learn more things, and perhaps you change your worldview on whether it's kettlebell technique or push-up technique or uh, paleontology or life. <laughs> when you have more facts, you're more equipped to do even better than you did before. So it, it should change, it should become refined. That's what it means to become refined, is, is that, you know what, I, you, you've come to my barbecues, you know what, I wanna make a better hamburger this year than I did 10 years ago. I wanna change, I wanna get better. And that's, that's really what it's about, you know? Um, yeah, that was the change thing. You said a lot of other things too, but now oh, I can't get on a rant about change. And you crush the barbecue, man, you crush it. No, oh, I take it very seriously. To me, it's the world's greatest compliment. If someone is going to come to my home and eat the food that I made with my hands and they're going to put it in their stomachs and put it in the bellies of their children, then like that's a tremendous honor for me. So I, I, I do take that shit seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you talk about change, it's interesting too because I think as you know, we both get this great gift to be able to present and teach you know, which it still blows my mind. I, when I, when I started even considering becoming a trainer, I never knew this would be, you know, an aspect of, of a big part of my career. And the fact that you, when you take a course with either of us, you know, in 2013 versus now, I think it's off, off, often lost that like we as presenters, presenters are trying to just get better at presenting on top of just owning the movements in the curriculum. Like how can we deliver a clearer response? How can we create, you know, an, a, a positive, engaging learning environment, a fun learning in my environment that also has the respect of the room so that things don't go haywire. That, yeah. That's an aspect that I think that's often lost. That, that is a huge aspect. I think so. a lot of people think it's just like, it's cool to teach in front of the room. And then you realize, you know, you travel into your first, you know, gym where you're bare, you don't know anybody, maybe one person or none at all. And you sort of right out the gate have to create the guidelines of what that whole day or three day weekend is going to be. And this is why it's one of those things that's, that's tricky until you really get in the circuit. You know, the, the best practitioners do not necessarily make the best teachers. They can. Oftentimes, the best practitioners very well may make the best teachers. But it's not an exact correlation because teaching is a craft and it's a skill. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. The more workshops you do, the better you get at doing workshops. Um, the more you're in front of a room speaking to people, the more clearly you're able to communicate with people. I always said when I first came upon as a PCC instructor, I always felt like I had the best skill set for this job because I have a very, very unique resume. You know, in terms of 
before my affiliation with Dragon Door, I was one of the most successful trainers in New York City. I also was one of the most successful personal training managers in New York City. I used to manage uh, the personal training department of a very, very popular gym on 6th Avenue and 23rd Street in the heart of New York City. I had a team of 30 trainers that worked for me. I would hire the trainers. I would fire the trainers. I would teach the trainers how to be trainers. I would sell the training to the members. I sold $205,000 a month of personal training. That's $2.4 million a year of personal training that I was accountable for. However, being a top New York City trainer, being a top PT manager at one of the largest gyms in Manhattan, isn't necessarily what I thought gave me a great skill set for PCC. What I thought gave me a great skill set for PCC was not the fact that I had been working out for 20 years or that I've trained hundreds of people and mentored dozens of clients, dozens of trainers. What I thought made me the best in terms of resume for PCC was that before I was even in fitness, I used to do production work. I used to do MC work. I used to be a spring break MC. Make some noise. I used to get on stage on Bourbon Street and Mardi Gras and give away free crap. I used to do spring break promotions in Cancun and in party towns and all these different events, Kentucky Derby, whatever. Before that, I used to play in bands. I've been on the road since 1994. It's 2017. I've been a road dog for 23 years. I used to play in bands. We'd play a show in Ohio. We'd get in the car. We'd drive for 12 hours. We'd play a show somewhere else. We'd drive another 12 hours. We'd play a show in Vegas. We'd drive another 10 hours. We'd play in LA. And this is just what we did. So that lifestyle of, of get in front of people, do your thing, boom. Go somewhere else, get in front of people, do your thing. That's what gave me a good resume for, PT, yeah. for PCC. Not the PT side of it, but the life side, the vocational side, the experience side, the side of it where it's like, okay, I am here in New York and I have to do this big giant thing in LA tomorrow and I got to make it happen and I got to make everybody happy that they chose to be there. And that, that's the job. And that's, that's the most rewarding part of the job. When I do a PCC, and I look at the people who attend, and maybe someone got their first muscle up or their first pistol squat. That's amazing. Well, maybe they didn't get their first muscle up or their first pistol squat, but they're just reacting to the shared experience that we all have together collectively as brothers and sisters of the calisthenics community. We come together as one. We have the shared experience. And maybe you didn't even get your damn muscle up or pistol squat. But that's what makes me happy is us learning together, experiencing together, and having these, these, these shared moments of communication and solidarity. That's really what it's all about is bringing that thunder, getting in front of that room, and helping facilitate everyone else bringing out the best in themselves. That's what it's about. Yeah, you created a, a really good atmosphere of trying stuff. I knew I, I, I went in, I trained, I trained for a while for that cert, and there were things that I had never done before that I, I would uh -huh. try. I mean, I went for my muscle up, and I, I didn't get it. And I'll be honest, guys, I'm not gonna try to try to lie. I did not pass my PCC. Um, I tried to be so perfect on one aspect aspect of my form that I gassed myself out, and then <laughs> I had this idea that like I knew exactly what I did wrong. I'm gonna do it again on my own. And Al, and this is another thing that I loved about Al, was like, just wait for tomorrow. <laughs> I take a couple of days off, and I'm like, no, nope, my sense of belief is here. I, I know what I can do. And my partner Glenna started counting me off, and I tore a muscle in my forearm on the fourth 
fourth chin up. I was ready to crush it, but it's I back just, to what you said before about ego. That was ego. Right, that was totally my ego. I was over believing, <laughs> and then <laughs> I kept trying after it without enough rest to try to keep nailing it. And I sent a video, and unfortunately, at MFF, <laughs> literally on my tenth chin up, one of the ninjas walked in front of in front of the camera, like the camera was on a bench, and and unfortunately, it couldn't count because Al didn't see my last chin up. So I still haven't claimed that. So I know in my future. I'm going to have to go back through the course again because it does, uh, you know, I got all the info out of it, but it does bother me that it's the only set of initials I haven't claimed. It's the only test I haven't officially finished. Um, admittedly, in a post-Graves disease world where I was experiencing tremors four months, pull-ups are like the last thing coming back, but they're coming, so I'll crush that thing. But now I know the process. I have to slow that up. I have to know where I'm at right now. And it's all coming back. So I, I just want, I don't want the group to think that like I'm shilling for the cert or that I'm even rocking. Like guys, ego hits all of us. Like I, I, I would, I just dropped from the bar after I tore, a, tore something in my forearm. But that's and that that's one of those things about how it's not necessarily about the test. It's mm -hmm. about the experience. It's not necessarily about the test. The test. Yes. We love the test. We like having a physical component, but it's about the experience. It's about learning uh, progressive techniques. It's about learning overload. It's about learning about leverage and learning about weight to limb ratio. It's about learning about points of contact and range of motion and progressions. And the test is the test. But there's been many people that did not do the test at the end of the weekend that have been incredibly enriched for yeah. having attended. So that, that's, that's what it's about. You know, you, 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 it's, it's about the whole thing. When we take these things, and again, this is, this is a very cultural way that we just are programmed to be we get very very goal oriented you know yep. we're, we're very goal oriented and we're not necessarily life or experience oriented so and this is this is a product from childhood you know you got kids in brooklyn public i got kids in brooklyn public yep. teach to the test give the kids the answers and they still do poorly but that's 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 the culture we're in is teach <laughs> to the test teach to the test fuck the test man how about learn how about experience how about do you know it's like the test is the test but the process leading up to that that's that's really the the nitty-gritty of what we're talking about here. i think that the the reason behind a lot of the strength and technique tests are often lost especially when it comes to you know i know for the rkc for us it's the snatch test and it's not about like how damn strong you are to pass a snatch test in my opinion if you've been training for a snatch test it means you should be physically prepared in a safe fashion to go through a three-day kettlebell cert Right. So if you look at the training carryover of training towards something like that, it's not so much about how badass can you be to pass a snatch test. It's how much preparation should we go? Would we need to do that based on your weights to get through a three day cert uh, in DVRT? Josh Hankin and the, and the crew, we were like, you know, when, when Josh started talking about doing a strength test. I was all for it. And it's a tough one. But we had people coming into an ultimate sandbag DVRT certification thinking like, oh, I'm going to get to use some sandbags. This will be easy. Uh, like like you could in a TRX course, no disc TRX. Like just it's just what it is. You don't really need to be super prepared for that one, uh, or at least back in the day. And people were getting crushed at DVRT courses where like by lunch they're done. Now you throw in a clean and press test. Suddenly you have to have a certain amount of like control time spent with the ultimate sandbag and uh, upper and lower body power and strength. So now we have a safe learning environment, your century test. If you can do your uh, 40 body weight squats, 30 push-ups, 20 hanging knee raises, 10 chin-ups or pull-ups, you should get through three days. And it's a very physical cert because it, it is fun. It's like, uh, 
I, I've said this a lot of times. I got I loved kettlebells because they felt like skateboarding to me. You could dial in your technique, you can try some new things, but you can really just try to get better at the thing in a way other than just getting heavier at a thing. Uh, and it, it does get super rewarding when you start getting heavier bells. And I think, you know, calisthenics, the PCC was like that. It's like, let's just try stuff. But if you don't have a strength test as a baseline, you're going to get some rando trainers and enthusiasts that come in and either can't enjoy the experience or get hurt. And that yeah, happens, yeah. guys. You have some person that just, you're not even, sh it doesn't happen as often because there's more information out there now. But like, you'd have somebody that just, did you read anything on the materials coming into this course? And it becomes a dangerous thing. That's a tricky thing because, right, like you're saying, right, the snatch test, if you're training for the snatch test, that's going to prepare you for a three-day kettlebell cert. If you're training for the century, these numbers in the century are there for a reason. It's like, I don't want to be the guy to say, hey, don't try that. Don't try that. I like the fun element. I like that people can try things and, and mess around with things. But the truth is, the century test is, is, is a baseline of calisthenic skills. 40 squats, 30 push-ups, perfect. 20 hanging knee raises, followed by 10 perfect pull-ups in that order, unbroken sets. And, you know, if, if you can't, I mean, people like to try things or this or that, or like you said, you know, try the heavier bell or try this or that. But the truth is, if you can't do that snatch test or that century test, you might not be ready to try something more elite or more advanced. We say 10 pull-ups on that century test because, you know what, if you can't do 10 dead hang pull-ups, you're not getting a muscle up. I've had countless yeah. clients who they, they start training with me and they're like, oh, I'm training with Danny now. This is great. Danny, I want to do a muscle up. And we assess some pull-ups and we see this and I'll have somebody who can do like two pull-ups, which is great. <laughs> you know, I, I ain't mad at two pull-ups. Two pull-ups is great. But if you can only do two pull-ups at a time, you can't do a muscle up. It's not going to happen. And all people ask me, well, I just need to learn the technique. And you know, if I, I, I could, if I could learn a muscle up from you, Danny, you could show me. And I'll be like, yeah, I can show you. But if you're at two pull-ups right now, first we have to get up to at least 10 pull-ups, maybe 15 pull-ups, perfect pull-ups, flawless pull-ups. And once we can do that, then we can work towards training a muscle up. You know, this is the thing about a lot of this shit, you know, like people think that everything is a trick. People think that everything is a hack. It's not their fault. They're told that, that, that everything is a trick. They're told that everything is a hack. That's the way that information is presented these days. Sadly, we live in a world where everything is clickbait. It has to be. There's yeah. more content. There's more information being shelled out in one hour right now than maybe 10 years ago was being shelled out in one week. Oh, you know? I, I heard a statistic that basically from 2003 on, we generate more content every day than we did in the history leading to 2003. Somebody might be able to look that up and, I believe and, that. and, and find that, but like the amount Every of day, right? More and than in the thousands of years leading up. I believe that. This is a little off track, but it's one of the problems and one of the, it's one of the problems I've had when, when, when I left MFF, I was making a lot of daily content and it was a lot of fun until it wasn't. And it's one of these things as trainers and as coaches, we put out a lot of content. It's like part of the gig to get the names out. But a lot of times we're just, there's so much similar and I know it's supposed to be in our own voice that I go through these like month long phases where I'm like, I don't want to write another fitness blog. I don't want to shoot another press video. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I feel bad sometimes for the groups that I teach for. Uh, but that is also that need for a more expressive creative outlet is what brought this podcast to existence. So 
it's we're in a weird spot as coaches where we're, we're looking for a lot of the times for these initials. Then we're trying to like immediately use them as a marketing material for ourselves. <laughs> fucking bullshit, man. It fucking pisses me off, man. Like the world that we live in is, 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 is bizarre. You know, it's like even the fact that you and I are sitting here and we're, we're, we're talking about content, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to get, a, I'm going to get a little out there for a second, but like this, this is, this is serious shit that I think about late at night. It keeps me up and it makes me want to fucking cry. Okay. Go for it, brother. Where do we use content? Content. The fuck is content right content like like we're talking about writing we're talking about programming we're talking about stuff that that, that that affects us deep in our hearts and stuff that affects us deep within our souls and we're calling it content we're fitness guys but we write man if i write an article if i write a blog like i'm, I'm pouring my soul into it you know i i i i i think of it like you know if you were a musician and you were writing a song you know, if you were a painter and you were painting a picture, this is your craft. This is what you do. You know, I'm a fitness guy. I'm also an artist. You know, I draw. I wrote five books. I write poetry. I'm an artist, man. And when we start referring to this shit as content, of course, I'll refer to it as shit, no problem. But we start referring to it as content, we're putting it in a very, very strange place. You know, we, we, we live in a world where, like you just said, there's more content made in one day than there has been in 2,000 years, which I totally believe happens every day. It devalues that stuff. Even when we start thinking of things as content, there are websites that get tons and tons and tons of hits because they're just taking content from other places. Content, content, content. What the fuck is content? We're talking about stuff. You know, if anybody listening to this has ever tried to write something, and I know many of you have, you know, you sit and you write and you think and you, the words pour out of you or they don't. And it could, it could, the words could pour out of you and then you, you stare at that page and you try to refine them, make them better. Or even worse, the words don't pour out of you. You sit at that page for hours and hours and hours, staring, thinking, taking notes, and you fucking scrap all of it. I've written for 10 hours and thrown it all in the garbage. You know, so when, when we take the stuff and we just call it content, it, it devalues what it is. Artists paint pictures. Songwriters write songs. Musicians play music. We write articles, blog posts, interviews, photographs, photography, books, all this stuff. It just... That's the problem, man. The problem is that everything is content, 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 and nothing is value, value, value. I think we all need to slow the fuck down. I think we need to, everybody needs to not spend more than 60 minutes on the internet in any given day. That's <laughs> it, man. And then, man, then the quality of what you absorb is going to be better quality. You know, that's uh, a great way because I'm going to openly admit, you know, I, I come from uh, a film, you know, writing production. I know you do, writing yeah. Background, and I got to admit, I got caught in the content game. Hearing you say that, it's a little bit like, it's a lot. Like I always try to put out good stuff in my voice, but hearing you break that down, I'm like, yeah, content is stuff. Maybe that's what's been bothering me. And I haven't been able to like have it verbalized. It's like, I've just been putting stuff out. Now, mind you, I think it's useful and it's good and I get good feedback. It is good. Still, Your stuff is great. <laughs> it's still, eh, it's all right, but it's like still stuff versus how do we elevate this onto the next level, right? Like how do we actually get creative? And you know, this whole idea about finding our voice, what is that voice? And it's hard to try to find that when you feel the pressure to put stuff out five times yeah. a week or three times a week, because it's become this weird part of being a trainer. And I'm not sure we all know what our end game is when we're making, you know, articles and blogs. Like, is it to get respect within the industry? That's cool. 
Is it to get new clients? Well, we got to really think then how we're writing it. Cause I think a lot of fitness writing is probably aimed more at trainers than it is. At oh people yeah. That would be using. And I think that's one of the great things that you guys have done. And some of the early days, certainly, have, you know, even now, I think like uh, Dan John's new hardstyle kettlebell book. Great book. Gem, folks, because it's going to the user, right? The enthusiast. And that's great what book. I was when I started out. And that's one of the reasons why I'm able to relate to people on my online training program is if I come at them as a coach, uh, for, as a trainer to trainer approach, it's just not going to work. I got, it's got to, you got to remember who you were. If you ever weren't like a trainer fitness guy, no, I'm not that guy. I'm like, you know, I was like, I worked out at a, a Jack LaLanne after, <laughs> after high school and I finally got in shape doing circuit training on machines. Like now we know aren't, isn't the best way to do it. So I have this background of like before kettlebells, not knowing what the hell I was doing. And then after, right. And I got to admit in some ways I was probably bigger and looked better certain times when I didn't know what I was doing, but I was also not feeling as well or moving as well. And I think that's a good thing when it comes to creating, it's hard to find the right word now, you know, like articles and videos. I mean, let's, let's talk short films, content. whatever, whatever that's we what want. It is. It's content. It's putting shit out there. But you we know? Wanna, I want to try to like actually think of how I'm going to start verbalizing this internally in my head of not thinking yeah. of this content. It's a funny word. It's a funny it's a short, word. I'm, I'm thinking like short film. It's become part of the trainer vernacular. And I think it's become uh -huh. probably of any blogger. I mean, it's, it's just part of what we do now. If anybody's trying to be like an uh, Instagram influencer. Well, that's the um, whole thing, man. It's like, stuff. first of all, you know, it's just a mystery wrapped in a damn riddle because we're all walking contradictions, right? You know, like here I am. I was about to say, I was about to say, yeah, that's why I'm not even fucking on Instagram. But then I was about to say, I got to get on Instagram. And I do got to <laughs> get on Instagram. There's people Google Danny Cavallo Instagram. They want to see a picture of me doing a fucking human flag somewhere. And I love that. And I'm grateful that they want to see that. But the truth is, I want to be in front of people. I want to be looking someone in the eye. I want to be talking to people. And it's, it's a tricky thing, like being a deep, you know, soulful human being that writes, that, that is a father, that, that, that plays music, that, that, that goes on bicycle rides and looks at the sun and goes to the beach, cooks food, doing the things that we do. And those are the things that we really do in real life. And then we have that. And then we have the, the opposite side where it's like, okay, uh, here, baby, hold the camera. Get a picture of me standing on top of this thing with my shirt off. And I'm going to point at the camera and make a scowly face. And it's like, and that's the other side of my job. You know, and I love yeah, let's, let's be honest. I, I don't mean to cut you off. You, you do that. Yes. You do that on the family photos too, though. <laughs> I do it on the family photos. I think it's hilarious. But we just come to this point where yeah. we're all just a fucking walking contradiction, right? It's like you look in the mirror and it's like, I am glad that my words resonated with somebody. I wrote this piece for the Dragon Door blog and this was not content. This came from the fire bleeding deep in my fucking bowels man i wrote this piece called take hold of the flame for the dragon door blog a few weeks ago and this were months ago i don't even know man and it was it was it was about just things i was feeling it was about working out even when you're not motivated because i was so tired of, of of the stupid internet and hashtag monday motivation hashtag this hashtag fit fam hashtag that and I just didn't care. And I was like, you know what? Fuck Monday motivation and fuck your fit fam, you know? And, and it's not about motivation. It's like motivation. Yeah, motivation's great. If I'm motivated, great. I work out every day. Woohoo, I'm motivated. But the truth is, the fact is that if you want to be strong or fit or pay your bills on time or be a better man, a better father, 
you want to get through the night without fucking disappointing yourself, then you need to move even when you're not motivated. Yeah, hashtag Monday motivation is great, but you need to show up and do your thing when you're not motivated. Anyone could fucking work hard when they're motivated. Yeah, I'm motivated. Look at me. I'm going to crush shit. But when you're not motivated and then you show up and you wreck shop and you do what you got to damn do because you know you have to do it, that's what it's all about. So that's where take hold of the flame came from. It's like you got to take hold of this stuff whether you feel the motivation or not. And that's what it's really about. That's where integrity comes from. That's where being a real human being comes from. So we all wrestle with this stuff. It's like this, here I am at six o'clock in the morning, it's dark out and I got to do my push-ups. I know that they're used to me pointing and scowling or smiling or whatever. And I love doing that stuff. And that is the real me. That's a part of the real me. But then we all get to this point where we're a walking contradiction. Because the truth is, most of what I do in my day-to-day life isn't standing on top of a building in Italy doing a human flag and posting that thing on my website. No, most of what I do is cooking breakfast for my kid, going for a bike ride to the park. You know, this is, this yeah. is the real me. So we, we, we all go through this thing. And I, I just want to be as transparent with people as possible with, you know what? I'm just some dude. I'm just some dude named Danny. If I can make the time to work out, then you can make the time to work out. Then anyone can make the time to work out. Because we all wake up and we all got to do the damn things that we got to do. And if I can find the time, then you can find the time. And Fury, you're just like me. You became a trainer later in life. You became a trainer after following other career paths and saying, you know what, this is something I want to do. And I think guys like you and guys like me and so many other people who I've met in our industry have a, a vision of this stuff where it's like, yeah, I'm a trainer. Yeah, I'm hustling. Yeah, I'm shucking and jiving. But also, I'm a man. I'm just a person. I'm just somebody who's just, you know, trying to like not have my stomach hang over my jeans. I'm just somebody who doesn't want to get out of breath if I'm chasing my kid. Like, that's all I am. And that, that's all any of us are. So, so we, we, we got to keep it in, in perspective. So when we're writing the stuff, we got to remember that we're writing stuff that's really who we are. And, and content, 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 whatever. Just keep it real. Be who you are. Say what you mean. Do what you say. And, 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 and do the best you can. And that's, that's, that's what I want to communicate to people. That's what I want to communicate to myself. That's what I want to communicate to my, to my son and my family and the, the people around me. It's like the world is so weird right now. We got this world where people are representing, here's what I am, but here's really what I am. But you're never going to see that. And it's like, I just want to be like, you know what? This is what I am. Yeah. Fuck you. (laughs) It's a a weird point. First, you get props for inadvertently referencing Rocky Four. If I can change, then you can change, then we can change. Uh, I love every Rocky movie. Not lost on me, but that was a direct. Even five. I love five also. All right. You got lost me on five, but I like the other ones that came on. But it's really true. I had an interesting thing. So I've only been to two perform betters. Um, I, uh, that was something since I came up sort of through the kettlebell world of dragon, yeah. I wasn't involved in the perform better crew and I got to go with Josh Hankin and some friends and help him out a, a few years ago. And then I went this year and I had two friends, Evan and Mike reach out to me after They're like, you know, I see you out there and you know, like people are saying hi and you're just like, 
so yourself. Like you're just super friendly and stoked to meet them. And now guys, I don't want you to think I have an ego. Like I, I'm, I'm like nobody in this business. Like if you know, if you use kettlebells and hard style, you might know who I am. Cause I've taught a lot of certs. I've assisted at a lot of certs, right? Like I don't say that, like I'm very proud of the work that I've done. And uh, you know, I think I have a pretty solid swing and I, I know I can teach people how to swing, but like, I don't see where that would lead me to treat anybody any differently <laughs> than as a fellow peer and potentially great person. And there's no wall between my teaching voice and my real voice. That's the right. only thing that changes is, uh, and this is especially so if uh, like Danny and I, for example, are having a few drinks, is how much cursing I'm going to do or how dark right. or dirty my humor is going to get. Right. What you're going to see is me and, and assert versus on this podcast versus when I try to shoot a video or write a blog or, you know, just hanging out in a session is going to be me. And I, I got to thank, you know, Mark Fisher and, and Steve Millis for like sort of helping instill that because as a guy that got into this game late in life, I felt like I had a, a trying to just learn what this business is and how you present yourself as an image and how you try to make money. Because I got into this, uh, for those that don't know my background, like I gave up like a six figure career. Yeah the fry guy because I wanted to help people. And so I definitely had financial, you know, fears, right? I also not that long after leaving the careers, you know, uh, my, my marriage ended and I had like a, you know, a real unsteady few years. Um, so, so we're so going to get dark now, huh? Well, no, it's not. <laughs> what I'm saying is this. It's like you, 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 you find yourself in the darkness because your fails are where you learn, right? Or you get lost in the darkness, right? But that doesn't mean I should project any darkness or any ego or any false thing to sell something to somebody else because I have some sort of fear-based thing. I'm a firm believer, and this has happened more often than not, and I think a lot of trainers relate, is I think trainers will have a great year, and then all of a sudden there's like a couple of months that just are horrible. And they're outside the normal cycle where you're like, holy crap, like am I going to be able to pay the rent? right? I'm not an owner, so I don't have that whole other level because I think people think owners have it easy, and that's a whole other uh the owners different. owners their boiler breaks and it cost them nine thousand dollars i know so you know i think you i know in the beginning at least in the first few years i was trying to find out like who i am what is this business where do i fit in it and i know i made mistakes and i know i probably rubbed some people the wrong way but i also think i trained a hell of a lot of people in a really right way and i learned a lot and i feel like you know over the last few years i've been able to sort of find myself in that and if there's something from this conversation from you and I that I think is kind of inspiring is like, just if you're a new trainer, learn and be yourself, like right out the gate. Don't worry about like what the vibe of your facility is. Don't worry about the vibe of the highest trainer, you know, most successful trainer you think is in that room. Cause I guarantee you they sweat it out on nights of like, is this working? Right. Or oh, how, yeah. I need to make more money. So guys, we're so on an even playing field and, uh, I hope this isn't too open, but like Danny, I've had conversations where we've like spent like a month, maybe traveling to three different places to teach. And then we're like, Holy crap, we got all these bills to pay. Cause your boiler broke or right. I got, you know, I accidentally rear ended a car and I got to pay for that thing. Cause that was a true story. Um, nobody was hurt. I mean, um, look, shit, shit, shit happens. We, yeah. we, we all have our, our, our things, but I, I really like what you said. Um, and that, that is great advice for new trainers is, you know, you, you, you get bombarded with so many different things. There's so many different types of trainers. There's the drill sergeant from the, the biggest loser. And then there's the, the hippy dippy yogi trainer. And then there's like the jock trainer. And then there's the, you know what? I wrote a book called everybody needs training. 
proven success secrets for the professional fitness trainer. And it is, it is everything I have to say about being a successful trainer. And the, the very last chapter in that book is called Be True to You. Because at the end of the day, I, I can't be that drill sergeant yelling at you, telling you to do, uh, you know, 100 burpees. Number one, because yeah. that's not my personality. And number two, I hate burpees. So, no, but but uh, you have to be you. You have to keep it real. You have to be authentic. And I think that, that that transcends personal training. I think that's something that people need to do in life. People spend so many time. I feel bad for kids. You know, they're growing up in the, in the generation of selfies. You know, like, like, like 11-year-olds are like tailing their image and, and, and doing this shit. And it's like, just, you just got to be you. You know, we all, we all have the cross that we have to bear. We all have the road that we have to keep on walking. But everybody really just, just ha- has to be who they are inside and be their own authentic self. And Absolutely. even as a trainer. If there's somebody who wants a trainer who isn't me, then they should hire that trainer because I can't be the best trainer for everybody. You know, maybe I can't be the best trainer for anybody. Who knows? Ask my clients. They'll tell you. <laughs> but you just, you just got to be honest with yourself and feel the things you feel and, and react to them. And I think people can see that. I think people aren't as stupid as they're given credit for. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it- it comes to with that fear of like losing clients or not making clients, right? Like it's um, guys like you, you're not going to please everybody. No, you know, nobody. I, I, look, a lot of people, it's, 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 it's actually like, I'm really stoked that, you know, somebody will see a Godzilla blanket on Facebook and I'll have like 10 people send it to me. Right. I, it's, it's awesome. I just love that people are looking out and that they know I'm like a Godzilla nerd. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you guys, I'm not, I'm not sharing this video, but I have a wall of Godzilla toys behind me. Now, someone might think that that's that is true. like just the dumbest thing in the world. And you know what? That's cool. That just, yeah. they're not going to maybe be the right person for me. Um, but yeah, for the person who thinks it's cool, that's my guy or girl, right? My guy or gal. Like, but in the beginning, we're all just like, it's got to be everybody. I can't even imagine what that's like in a big box where... In the beginning, the it does have to be everybody. In the beginning, right, you want to close every sale. You want to, because you, you need it. You know, you need it. When I became a trainer, I was 31, and I got started at a big box gym at age 31 as an entry-level, level one junior trainer. Everyone else with my job was 18. I was 31. I had a mortgage. I had a kid, a baby, and uh, I just had to make everybody think that I was the right trainer for them. And that was cool at the beginning. And it didn't last long because I had to be the right trainer for them in a, in a more sincere way yeah. than just, okay, you want someone to, to, to make you run on a treadmill for 30 minutes and then do 400 crunches. Well, I'll do it. But then as I got more seasoned in my career, I was like, well, this might not be best for them. Maybe I don't need to appease them. And I think that being a trainer, you strike the balance between customer satisfaction, giving the customer slash client slash whatever you want to call it, person that trains with you, giving what they want, but also using your experience and your authority to give them what you need. And ultimately, it does come down to your experience as a trainer. We started off this conversation today talking about certifications and letters after people's names. And you know what? I met a lot of trainers with a lot of letters off their names. And a lot of those trainers have sucked. 
you know, because it comes down to experience. You know, you could yeah. be a trainer who's never trained anybody and you go to enough fucking certifications and whatever and blah, blah, blah. And look, this is coming straight from the heart. I teach a friggin' certification and I'm going to say this. Going to a certification does not make you a better trainer. I repeat, simply going to a certification and getting the letters after your name will not make you better. If you come to my certification, just showing up will not make you better. But if you open your eyes, and open your ears to the experiences around you. If you listen to the feedback your clients give you, listen to the wisdom and experience of other trainers who have perhaps been doing it a little bit longer than you, have an open mind. Don't think that you know everything. I mean, I was about to say, don't think you know anything, because I walk around, I'm like, I don't know anything, I don't know anything, I don't know anything. Uh, you know, like, I got that Alice in that Mad Season song, I don't know anything. Like, I play that in my head all day when I walk through the ground, you know? I'm like, hell, I don't know anything. But that's the thing, though, is be open to the experience. Nobody knows everything. The letters don't matter. The experience matters. We all just got to do the best we can every single day. And that's it. It's so true. I just literally got an email before we hopped on from somebody who's like, Hey, uh, Fury, I'm coming to your HKC in November. Uh, is there anything, you know, this is where I'm at. Is there anything I should start training for when I'm in with the pros? And I'm like, who are the pros? Yeah. Because when you're coming to that cert, you're on an even baseline. You might have more experience, but if you've been practicing and studying for that cert, you have to come in with the groundwork. We're like, all students. We're all you, students. We're, it's, it, we're all students. And, you know, I was that. Like, the HKC was the first cert I took. I took it just as a member. And, you know, I don't want to be repetitive, but I took it to learn to get up and how to swing a little better. And in assisting at HKCs, there were two of them in particular where I, I saw uh, there was one where, and guys, this is like a goblet squad in HKC. So, for example, there were two veteran trainers that looked, looked jacked, right, had all the appearance, and couldn't squat. Just could yeah. not squat. Um, yeah. I remember uh, at a course, a, a user course, we were talking about pressing. And there was this guy who had shoulders the size of my head, like just massive shoulders. This dude was just jacked, like just Arnold oh. Schwarzenegger, but smaller frame. Oh. And I was demoing for the instructor with the 20K. And like at that point, I probably could have pressed that thing 20 times. I don't say this in bragging. I, I say this in terms of expectations. So I expected this guy to like be hauling weight. He was struggling with the same exact weighted belt yeah. to get like four. Yeah. Right. So he had all this appearance. And I think you could set yourself up to hit everybody and then you start funneling your niche, right? Cause it, and immediately you need to pay rent and you need to have food. You gotta make and, money. And then your niche starts to define itself and the results of the people you train start to define themselves. And then, you know, some people will go to you cause they've seen the person you train and they look great. They're seeing the results. They're getting stronger. They're getting leaner. And then that, you know, they refer. And some of it's like the sense of humor you portray in class that you run a decent class but it's like they relate to your jokes. They know that you have this stuff happening. So as soon as you can sort of get that personality in there, as long as it's not grating in someone's face, but slowly that will shift where your client base just becomes those people that want you to be fully you. And why I do think, you? yeah, I think that's like the, that's the separator. That's why I don't personally worry about competition too much, even on a one-on-one -on -one base. Cause there's people that are going to want Danny and there's people that are going to want me. It's like, it's, it's somewhat clear off the gate just because, you know, right now, because of the groups we work for, someone probably with a, a more body weight focus is going to reach out to him if it's not somebody from, the, you know, one of the gyms we're training at. And somebody who probably, if they're into kettlebells, would reach out to me first. But, like, even if that wasn't the case, it's like 
there's going to be people drawn to Danny, people drawn to me, people drawn to this trainer. And that's totally cool. And I know I wasn't always there. I know I would look at independent trainers at some gyms and be like, what the hell are they doing with that kettlebell? Why isn't that person with me? I I see that all the time. You know, every trainer sees that all the time, but you know what? That's not your problem. It's not my problem. I see stuff. I train at a gym in New York City that probably has 200, 300 independent trainers coming in and out of there every week. And every now and again, I see a trainer and I'm like, what the fuck is that? And then I'm like, you know what? I'm being a jerk. I don't know what the hell. I'm here for me. I shouldn't be judging other people. What the hell is wrong with me? And that's a time to check myself. You know, it's funny because as a personal trainer, and not everybody is going to agree with me, but I don't really care if anybody agrees with me because I know this to be true. As a personal trainer, you have two jobs. That's it. Number one, give that person a workout they can't do without you. Number two, build a relationship. That's it. Those are your jobs. Give a person a workout they can't do without you. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're giving them a spot or manual resistance on every exercise. No. What that means is that perhaps it's your presence there that gives them the gumption to do that extra pull-up on that sweaty bar or it gives them the, the, the drive to go that much lower on their squat. That's a workout they can't do without you. Or maybe just friggin' showing up is a workout they can't do without you. Maybe That's the big one. You're meeting them there at 7 in the morning. They look at their clock at 6.45. If they weren't meeting you, they wouldn't show up. But they know you're there, so they show up. Boom. Workout they wouldn't do without you. And the other thing is exactly what you said. It's building a relationship. And the more you build a relationship, the more likely they are to show up. You know what? We're talking about calisthenics. We're talking about kettlebells. I'm going to open it up a little bit more. Let's talk about barbells. Let's talk about machines. Let's talk about other types of training. And you know what? They all work. I am not going to sit here and say calisthenics is the only thing that works because weight training works. Calisthenics works. Kettlebells work. All these modalities work. But the only way that they work is if you show up and you do it. So that's your job as the trainer. Get them to show up and do it and do that workout they wouldn't do without you and build that relationship with you because then they're more likely to show up and do that workout that they wouldn't do without you. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy once you can nail those two things. But everything works. This is what works. Intensity and consistency. I could only lift weights if I wanted. I could only do calisthenics. I could only do kettlebells. As long as I'm working hard, not bullshit, but really working hard, and as long as I'm doing it four days a week or more, I, I will get results. I will. I will. Super true. Yeah, that's got me fired up, to actually. I'm like, I need to go train somebody right now, but my day is actually I'm, – I'm in, like, editing land after this, oh, <laughs> doing <know>. your podcast. <laughs> I know. I know how it goes. I had my morning sessions out of the way already, uh-huh. uh, but I'm fired up. Uh, hey, let's uh, – we, we should start wrapping this down a little bit. We were like, we're going to keep this at about an hour, but, man, Danny and I, like, this is what our evenings are like while this we're – That's what uh, we do. <laughs> this is how it goes for us. So, uh, really quickly, uh, we have gone – it has been a while – but we have gone to a number of superhero movies together with the families. What is your uh, favorite superhero movie of all time? All time. All time. Uh, okay. This is a tough one. And, and, and here's why. You know, 
kids today, they don't know how good they have it with these superhero oh, movies. I know. Like, everyone has a movie. Everyone has a series. Everyone has multiple movies. I mean, when, when, when we were young, I mean, we had the Superman movies, which were great. And I still think Christopher Reeve is bar none the greatest Superman we've ever had on film. Um, so I want to say Superman 2 because I, I just really love that scene where he wants to tell Lois that, that, that he's Superman and then he takes his glasses off and he puts his glasses on and this posture change. I just, it's so good. I want to say Superman 2, but I, I, I could probably do better than that. Uh, I mean, dude, that's a pretty great one. That, at that point, I have to admit, as a kid, I did not love that first Superman movie. There was like a little too slow. It's a little long. There wasn't enough action in it. We Superman were young. Two is like you had those three badasses. You had General Zod. I mean, General that was Zod. Yeah. Oh. I mean, that was that was definitely the one for me where it was like they got all the aspects of the character, but they had that amazing chemistry between the three of those guys. And Superman guys. one, like we didn't have. We were young at that time, right? So, like, I, I didn't know who the hell Marlon Brando was. I didn't realize how cool it was that it was yeah. his dad. I didn't know who the hell this guy was. I had these three card named Desire or whatever hell movie he was in or, or The <laughs> Waterfront or whatever. I didn't see this stuff until, like, 20 years later, you know? So I didn't, I didn't have a context. Two really did it for me as a kid, you know? And then also, you know, I got, I got to give it up. I got to give it up to the X-Men movies because yeah. as a kid – the X-Men was my favorite. And it's so funny because you couldn't even get a Wolverine toy, you know, in, in, in the 80s. It, it, you know, it's, I, I remember going now to... Now there's like 900 different Wolverine you, figures. You can literally available. just collect. I, I remember I've always collected some sort of a toy. And I remember for a little while, the only Wolverine figure was from like the Secret Wars line in like the 80s. Uh -huh. And then I remember the first line of X-Men figures because I ended up sort of... That was actually like early mid-90s, guys. Like that wasn't that long ago. I was already like in college. I mean, like, holy cow, they're actually making figures. And then that first X-Men film, it was the first team movie. We hadn't really had that. And a lot of people didn't know about the X-Men. Now it's such a common thing to know who Wolverine is after, like, um, how, however many appearances he's been on. But it was the same thing when Iron Man came out kicking off, you know, this amazing, you know, what Marvel's done is, is simply brilliant. We've gone to a bunch of those movies together is Iron Man wasn't expected to be this monster hit. It wasn't even right. a really well known. Like people had an awareness of the Iron Man as a suit, but no idea really about like Tony Stark and what this was. So based on the quality of that movie and where that has gone and the brilliant move of linking, linking Samuel L. Jackson into that was, uh, right amazing to the point where i had already been called my original name of bald fury for years before that movie came out but everybody thinks it's a it's an avengers thing now but guys like no one knew who nick fury was if you didn't yeah. go to a comic book shop every wednesday to get your new books like, i mean i remember i remember when nick fury was white yeah. that was a long time ago dude david hasselhoff <laughs> i shit you not was the first nick fury in the tv movie i mean that's how lame that these, these things were these these movie versions no, it is it is things. and kids now it's like you mentioned iron man it's like it's funny because uh robert downey jr's portrayal is amazing the the movies are very well done the the special effects are great the suit is done great jarvis is done great like i talked to my son and I talk about Iron Man as like kind of like a second tier superhero. And he's like, Iron Man is the best. And like, my view is, is like those cartoons, you know, Tony Stark, make defeat, you know, whatever, yeah. like that, that, that cartoon with, hey, it is me, Iron Man. I remembering this from when I was a kid, Hulk, Hulk, you know, like all those old cartoons. And it's like, they, they didn't have them back then. But I'll just, 
Yeah, the, the question was the favorite Superman movie. I said Superman 2, and I'm, I'm going to stick with it, but I'm going to give some honorable mentions, okay? All right, let's so see, let's honorable mentions are, are, are definitely the X-Men movies, certainly 1 and 2, and, and Days of Future Past, which I, I, I really like that one. And, you know, I got to give it up to my man Hugh Jackman. He took, he took Wolverine, who was, I mean, he reinvented Wolverine, and no one's ever going to do it better. So I'm, I don't know if they're going to make reinvent well, that's a whole other story yeah, we'll right have to see what happens with you that, know, yeah. we'll just have to see what happens but at first when he got the role i was like this cat and he really did great with it so i got to give it up to him and yeah. uh this god there's so many superhero movies so many of them are so good so many of them are so bad um we had we had a talk about 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 the incredibles like a year ago yeah about, oh, that's a great it's an awesome movie, one it's a cartoon it's different Do we start counting all these other cartoons in it i don't know um I recently saw Batman the Killing Joke. Ooh, the animated one. Oh, it's good? I'll just leave it at that. All right, I'll have to check, check it out. out. Check it out. I, yeah. I love Batman the Animated Series. I love the way they did that. And uh, I- I'll throw out a couple more. I don't know, man. There's so many good ones. So many <laughs> good ones. I-, I like the new Turtles revamp. <laughs> yeah i gotta admit we we saw the There's second one together and that out of the shadows one folks the first movie's not great but the, they got the characters right but the movie's pretty bad but the second one is like a live action episode of that cartoon and when people shit talk it i'm like what are you talking about yeah, this cartoon yeah. in live action which was rad you know what's funny is you mentioned like you know hugh jackman like no one knew who hugh jackman was before logan and now he's right. such a household name and that people forgetting that Robert Downey Jr. at the time of Iron Man, like that was a risk for the studio. The director, John Favreau, had a fight for him because this was like coming out of like a lot of like uh, drug and alcohol abuse. Like he was, you yeah. know, like, and now you know, he's there's one thing. Everybody, here's what Americans love, right? They love a fall from grace. Yep. So you got a cat like Robert Downey Jr., all right? Hollywood elite, pretty boy, blah, 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 drug addict. People love to see him suffer. But you know what people love even more than a fall from grace? People love a comeback story. Super true. Yeah, they do. You know, when we talk about being authentic selves, you know, I know people that have been around those guys. And if you watch interviews, it comes through that they're also legitimately good people, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that shines through in the work and who they are. So I think, you know, it's also authenticity, even in an acting front does come through. Cause once you start hearing about like, someone's just an asshole, like, you, yeah. you, you know, that's that they don't hold up like they used to now in social media. Like, Back in the day, you could be like just a horrible human being and then be like a top star. And now that stuff gets out and it, it carries in and it affects box office and stuff. Well, for better or worse. I mean, like social media is a double-edged sword. So it if I'm going to pick – if I'm going to pick like my tops, man, this is a hard one. I, a Civil War and the first Avengers film. Um, I think the first Avengers They really film, did Avengers well. Yeah, they, they really did it well. They pulled that one great. And then, um, you know, I'm going to go back a little bit. The Crow, which is oh! a movie, is like Brandon Lee, man. Like it just – I was a huge Brandon Lee. It's funny. As a martial arts fan, I was more into Brandon Lee and his movies, Showdown, A Little Tokyo, Rapid Fire, and that than I necessarily was in Bruce himself. I got into him – like I knew of him. I saw his movies. But, like, just from a quality of movie from beginning to end, Brandon was, like, on a whole other point. And The Crow is just unbelievable uh that you know they keep you know they made some mediocre sequels and they made a series no, the sequels they, are different though they, 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 they keep talking about the there's been a long-running reboot with uh the writer james obard like involvement so we'll see if that ever happens but i think it's the crow is one of those reboots. too many one reboots, of those man. gems that people should go back and and, and the crow is out. great 
the crow the crow is i mean also you got to remember like what was that like 92 or 94 or something? i mean like i think 93 actually yeah so you know we're talking about the crow soundtrack was like super hot back at that time I mean, it you still know? holds up it does it does. Uh, and that's that Stone Temple pilot song still makes me sad for Brandon Lee's passing. Yeah. No, the crow, the crow, to, to kill the man, you have to kill the bird. <laughs> yeah. Fire it up. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, I think it's, we've been on for a while to the point that we actually, uh, we're going to edit it out, but we got booted off the conference <laughs> and then had our back on. Uh, Danny, uh, as we were getting ready to wrap up, is there anything you got coming on? Any places you'd like people to check out your stuff at? Website? Whatever? I mean, you know, my website is dannythetrainer.com, but I'm really an in person experience. So, you know, message me, hit me up, I'll write back to you, book a training session with me. Pick up the book, Get Strong. It's the most recent book that me and my brother, Al Cavallo, have written. You know, Get Strong, we, we put out so much content over the <laughs> last few years. But this, is, this Get Strong book is really the one where we really did put together a systematic approach to getting strong. So check out Get Strong. Check out Strength Rules. Check out Street Workout. Uh, just, you know, work out, eat good food, listen to good music, love life, spend time with your kids and people you care about. You know, that's, that, that's all I got to say. And, you know, do a pull-up, you know, if you can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, brother. Guys, if you're interested in uh, anything that I might have going on, just check out coachfury.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Instagram, I am Coach Fury, and Facebook, just look for Steve Coach Fury Holliner. I have a professional and a personal page there. Coachfury.com, though, will have like if you're interested in personal training, online training, hosting a course, or uh, checking out a course that I might be teaching. That's the way to do it. Uh, Danny, will you wrap this up by telling the folks to die mighty? Everybody listening to this needs to heed my words right now. It's one thing to live mighty. We wake up, we face the day, we do the best we can every single day. But I want to stay strong throughout my life. Coach Fury wants to stay strong throughout his life. Coach Fury wants you to stay strong throughout your life. So just as sure as we want to live mighty, we want to die mighty because we want to stay mighty all along. Awesome. I'm mildly erect after that. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Uh, folks, <laughs> stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, thanks to Glenn Urieta and the FTW for art and music um, on the podcast. If you want to donate some money, please hit up Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Coach Fury podcast. Um, big thanks to Julian for setting up the first donation. Uh, thanks everybody. Keep listening, Danny, man. We'll have to get you back on. Cause we didn't talk to some of the, about some of the stuff we wanted. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> love you, brother. I love you too, man. See you soon. The coach Fury podcast is created, owned and produced by Steve coach Fury Holliner. That's me for Fury industries, LLC music by the FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc. For merchandise, tour info, and the record. Artwork provided by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That is G L E N N U R I E T A or at Glenn Urieta on Instagram and Twitter.